Good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church family and all other church family members out there who may not be part of Strong Tower. We appreciate you tuning in and, and watching us online today. I'd like to start off um, with a scripture this morning. Um, it is 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, and it says, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not steadily look at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Number one, is anybody glad to, to be alive? Amen. My God, my God. Um, we get to be here today. And if you know the Lord, you get to worship Him today. It is a privilege. Everything we receive from God is a gift because we don't deserve anything but the payment of our sins. For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that he is your Lord. I tell you what, when Jesus said, I have come that my sheep may have life and have life more abundantly, oh my goodness, he was telling the truth. I'm so glad, I'm so thankful to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I am born again. I am a new creation, my God. And I thank God for his goodness in my life. And today, November 29th, technically begins the Advent season based on the liturgical calendar for the church. And so today we begin to anticipate and have great expectation and remembrance of the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the womb of the Virgin Mary. So this begins the time where we anticipate his arrival, the parousia in the Greek, the coming of the Lord. And so we celebrate the Lord who came, but we also have great expectation of the Lord who will come again. And we don't know when that will be, but we say, come quickly Lord Jesus, not just to rescue us, but come quickly because we want to see your face. The Bible says that when the Lord appears, we shall see him as he is. I want to see Jesus, and I will behold him with my very own eyes. Oh, that day, oh, my salvation is nearer now than when I first believed. So anybody in love with Jesus out there, he is the center of it all. Uh, and, and that's why we sang that song today, to always be reminded uh, that Jesus is the center of everything. At least he ought to be. He deserves to be. And I pray that we would submit our lives to him daily and just thank him. It goes better when we do that. Amen, somebody? It goes a whole lot better when we acknowledge the lordship of Jesus in our lives. And we are in a series called Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas because we all acknowledge that we are messy people who live in a messed up world. And our only hope is found in the birth of the Messiah or the Messiah King Jesus Christ. He is our hope. As messed up people in a messed up world, we trust in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to deliver us from our mess. Amen. He is our hope. And so 2020 has been a doozy for all of us. And uh, that's why Christmas is going to hit a whole lot differently this year because of what we've been going through. And so we need hope right now. We need light right now. We need life. We need encouragement. And there's no one that we can look to who has those things more than Jesus Christ himself. So amen. Uh, We have a Messiah who gives us mercy for all of our mess that is in us and even around us. Jesus is the hope of the world. So as you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to pray for the word as we preach and teach it and as you receive it and as we all apply it. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for giving us hope and even providing us the solution to our sins, and that is Jesus Christ, your son, uh, the one who came and gave his life for us, the one who came and shed his blood that we might be set free from the power, from the presence and even the penalty of sin. We thank you that it's through the blood of Jesus that we have the victory today. And we thank you for his resurrection, for his power. We thank you for the realness of the Holy Spirit and that we get to have communion with him every day. We thank you, Lord, that we're in this dispensation where you poured out your spirit on all flesh, not just some flesh, but on all flesh, men and women, boys and girls who have trusted in you. And we thank you for the counselor, the comforting power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray now that he would be the one who would lead us into all truth, that he would be the one who would bring glory to Jesus Christ right now through the teaching of the word of God, that he would be the one who would give us the desire and the power to live like Jesus and to live for Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you that the devil is defeated today. We thank you, Lord God, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, never to be erased. Jesus, you are at the center of it all because you are worthy to be praised. And as we'll be reminded today, you are the king of the Jews and you are the king of all kings. So, Lord, please, I ask that you would speak through my mouth today that your people may hear what you have to say. For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I remember preaching uh, many years ago, and I had some people come up to me, and they told me that the pulpit was no place for politics. Yeah, yeah, many years ago, uh, over 25 years ago. And then there have been times since then that I've had people email me, inbox me, um, even teachers from my old high school Uh, in Baltimore who have followed me on social media, but if I post something about politics, they will say to me, Chris, um, preachers don't need to delve into politics. And so whether people say that to me after I preach or they send me an email or a text or or something in social media, usually what that means is is that uh, uh, I rode down their street and dropped some mail off in their box. In other words, 
People don't mind you preaching about politics as long as you don't preach against their politics. That's when it gets real personal. Uh, because really and truthfully and honestly, you cannot preach the Bible holistically if you do not preach about politics. Let me say that again. You really cannot preach the Bible holistically without preaching about politics. Why do I say that? Because if you truly read the Bible, the Bible is full of politics. So therefore, there is a place in the pulpit to preach about politics. And so again, people usually don't like when a preacher preach about politics when the preaching confronts their politics or it exposes the errors in their politics. But the truth is there's error in all politics. And again, if we're going to preach the Bible and if we're going to read the Bible, we're going to preach and read about politics in the scheme of God's redemptive story of man. As a matter of fact, Jesus would not have been crucified without the aid of politics. So again, politics is a part of the gospel and the redemptive story. It's how the preacher preaches about it that can uh, irritate some. And today, I've got to talk about politics. Because in order for us to truly appreciate, yet alone understand, the birth story of Jesus Christ, we must interpret it against the political climate of the day. There was a strong political climate in the day in which Jesus was born that dictated many of the events that transpired. And so today, I am going to talk about that political climate, namely the king who was leading Judea during that time, and that's none other than King Herod also known as Herod the Great. Now, the Bible never calls Herod, Herod the Great. That is what secular or mainstream history refers to him as, as Herod the Great. And we're going to learn some things about this man today to see that he really was not <laughs> that great. As a matter of fact, he was, the title of my sermon today, a messed up king. Herod was a messed up up king, even though he was called Herod the Great. So today we're going to learn about him. You're going to learn some things about Herod that you probably never knew. Not only will we look into the Bible to learn about Herod, but we're also going to go to antiquity or uh, into mainstream history to learn about Herod as well, so that we can develop this uh, composite picture of him to see that truly this man was messed up. And so if you are with me this morning, let's deal with the first point, and that is Herod was the king of Judea. That's a simple truth and fact that Herod was the king of Judea. Look with me at Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. I hope you have your Bibles. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible says, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Did you see that? Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the days of Herod the king. So let's learn a little bit about Herod. Herod was born in 73 B.C. B.C. means before Christ. And for people who don't believe in Christ, 
they will date uh, the calendar BCE, meaning before the Common Era. And so Herod was born in 73 BC and he died in 4 BC. He lived approximately 69 years and he reigned for approximately 33 years as king of Judea. And in the days of antiquity, which means the days of old, the reigns of kings were used to date eras, to date eras. Earlier, Pastor Jerry read from 1 Chronicles. And if you read through 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles and 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you'll see all these kings listed in the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And back during that time, the way they dated the era was through uh, the time in which a king reigned. So during the days of King Uzziah or during the days of King Azariah. So that's how the calendars were, were determined in those days of antiquity. And so when we think about Jesus, he was born, born during the reign of King Herod. And so that is an indicator to let people know how do we try to determine the time in which Jesus was born? Because the calendar that we operate from did not come about until long after Jesus had been born. And so during that time before the calendar we use came into play, they would date major events during the reigns of kings. And so that would be similar today if we said during the fourth year of Donald Trump's presidency. Coronavirus, the coronavirus rocked the planet. And so, so that's an indicator to let, to let us know the time uh, in which people were living or which people are living. And so that's how they did it during that time. And Herod was born into a noble family that had strong political ties. Herod was an Edomian. And Edomian is someone who is a descendant of Esau. Esau is the progenitor of the Edomite people. And if you recall, Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob would go on and to become Israel. And so the blessing would flow through Jacob, not through Esau. As a matter of fact, Esau despised Jacob. So Esau went away and he started his own people called the Edomites, and they were enemies oftentimes of the Hebrew people. And so King Herod was not Jewish. He was an Edomian or a descendant of Esau. So I got to say that again because this sets the tempo for what I'm going to say today. King Herod, even though he was the, the king of Judea, he was not Jewish. He was an Edomian. And Herod wanted desperately to bear the title, the king of the Jews, even though he was not a rightful king from the line of King David. And this is why, again, the Bible never calls Herod uh, the king of the Jews or Herod the Great. He was just Herod, who was put in place, as I'll show you in a moment, uh, by the Romans to lead the Jewish people. So he was technically not Jewish, which means he did not have a rightful claim to the throne. So from 110 BC to 63 BC, there was an independent kingdom of Jews who occupied Israel, and they were called the Hasmonean dynasty. 
So the Hasmonean dynasty during this period of time was made up of a group of people who sought to lead Israel from 110 to 63 BC. Herod's father, Antipater II, was appointed as an advisor for a Hasmonean king, Hycranus II. So this is where the political ties began for King Herod because his father was appointed within the Hasmonean dynasty. However, in 63 BC, Roman general Pompey, who history calls him Pompey the Great, Pompey invaded Judea and deposed the Hasmonean dynasty. So we have now when Rome begins to rule the world. If we go back to the book of Daniel, we'll see that there was a prophecy that was found in the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar made of the head of gold and the chest of silver and the bronze and the, 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 the silver, the bronze and the iron. It speaks of successive kingdoms that would rule the world, starting with Babylon, going to Persia, going to Greece, and then to Rome until a rock came out of the mountain and smashed that statue, speaking of God setting up his kingdom on the earth through the rock of ages, Jesus Christ. So we're in the age of man, where man is ruling all the way from Babylon to the Romans, and we're in this Roman era right now awaiting the rock to come. But when we think about when the Romans took over, this was all prophesied. And so they take over from the Greeks Pompey comes in and he deposes the Hasmonean dynasty. And Antipater II was eventually made a procurator or an administrator of Judea by Julius Caesar in 47 BC. And so what they did was when they took over the area, they used some of the people in this new government that was ultimately under Rome. And they chose Herod's dad uh, to be a procurator. And Antipater, Herod's father, appointed his son Herod to be governor of Galilee when Herod was only 25 years old. Now, here's where things begin to twist. After Herod's father died by poisoning, Herod was appointed king of Judea by Caesar Augustus in 37 BC. And this would begin the Herodian dynasty. And so Herod becomes king of Judea as appointed by Caesar Augustus in 37 BC after his father, Antipater II, strangely dies from poisoning. You see, Herod's rule was rejected in his early years by lingering bitterness from surviving members of the Hasmonean house. Therefore, Herod sought to solidify his position by marrying Mariamne, a princess from the Hasmonean line. So he married a Hasmonean princess in order to quell um, the, the disdain that the Hasmonean survivors who were Jewish had against Herod. So this was a political marriage. Now, Herod would go on to have 10 wives, 10 wives, and scores of children by those wives. Herod is regarded as one of the greatest builders in ancient times. His building projects even benefited the Jews. He, he built many things for the Romans, but he also built some things for the Jews, namely when he rebuilt the second temple, which was built by Zerubbabel, 
when the Jews came back from Babylonian captivity and they built a shanty of a temple compared to the original temple built by Solomon. And when Herod came along, he decided to rebuild or to give a massive facelift to that second temple to the point where it was called Herod's Temple. And he decorated it with all kinds of gold. He even extended the portico and the area of the Temple Mount. So he has been considered a great builder. Herod also built a chain of fortresses along the eastern border of Jerusalem to resist uprisings that would come from the east, which would be towards Persia. So he, he was always afraid of attacks coming from the east, so therefore he built several fortresses there to protect him against attack. And the two most famous ones that still stand today are Masada and Herodium. And I was fortunate to visit both of those places uh, when I visited Israel a couple of times many years ago. Those places are still standing. As a matter of fact, when Herod died, those fortresses would be used much later when the Jews made a standoff against the Roman army. They used Herod's uh, fortresses to fight, but they lost because Jesus had prophesied that uh, the place was going to go down. And in 70 AD, uh, the, the, the Jews destroyed the temple and all of that. So all of this is in history and as well as prophesied in Scripture. Herod, who, who was a great builder, he had the reputation of moving mountains, of moving mountains. Why? Because Herodium is built on top of a mountain. So he literally cut the top off the mountain in order to build this fortress. So he had this reputation as a great builder who could move mountains. So when Jesus told his disciples that they could have faith to move mountains within that culture and then within that context, he was saying that you could have greater power than Herod uh, because of who you trust in and the words of faith and life that you speak to those mountains, those uh, places of resistance, namely coming from the government. You can say to this mountain, be moved into the sea. Why? Because Herod had, quote unquote, power to move mountains. Jesus says, my people have power to move mountains as well by the things they believe and the things that they speak. Herod built Theaters, amphitheaters, hippodromes in honor of Caesar Augustus. He built the port city Caesarea Maritima, and it's still one of the greatest marvels of antiquity. So my question is, if Herod's going to be a great builder, how in the world could he afford to do all of this building? Well, the, re the way he did all this building was that he heavily taxed the Jewish people. So this was another reason why the Jewish people did not care for Herod. They not only cared for him because he wasn't Jewish, uh, uh, and I'm going to talk later about a, a, a so-called conversion that he had, uh, but they also didn't like him because he kept taking money from them in order to build all of these places and all of these uh, things for the Romans. So that's Herod in a nutshell, who he was. But let's go a little bit deeper with number two. Herod was troubled. Not only was he the king of Judea, but he was also troubled. Thinking that his wife, Mariamne, this princess from the Hasmonean line, was becoming more popular than him, 
Herod had her killed because he couldn't have any rivals, even his wife. And when he married her, he married her out of political motivation in order to calm the resistance against him coming from Jews who traced their lineage back to the Hasmoneans. But after a while, he saw that she was getting more attention than he was. She was more popular than he was. So antiquity tells us that he had her killed. And killing Mariamne made Herod physically sick, depressed, and paranoid because he did something that was wrong. He knew it was wrong. Uh, and so he would remain paranoid for the rest of his life, and he would always think that someone was coming against him to take something from him. Paranoid. The Bible says that Herod was troubled. If you go with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, we'll see it. So the wise men, they come from the east. They come to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod heard Excuse me, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled. Uh, this word troubled means um, to be disturbed. So he became deeply disturbed when he heard that there, were, there was a caravan in town. And where did this caravan come from? It came from the east. And so as this caravan is in town, they are trying to find the location of another king, the king of the Jews. And so when the wise men or the magi travel, um, they may have presented three gifts, but that doesn't mean it was just three of them. As a matter of fact, if they were traveling with the kind of gifts that they had, which were very valuable to present to the Christ child, I promise you, it just wasn't three dudes. They had a caravan with them, and if they were coming from another country, Persia perhaps, um, after having learned about the Lord, maybe through Old Testament scripture about a star which they followed, that they traveled with an escort. They traveled possibly even with uh, uh, soldiers to help protect. So when Herod hears about these people in town who are foreigners, who are out of town, who came from the east, which is a place he's worried and concerned about, and they're talking about another king, it troubles him. It disturbs him. He is threatened by what he is hearing. And the Bible says that not only was he troubled, all Jerusalem was troubled with him. What does that mean? In other words, if Herod gets a cold, then the people get pneumonia. <laughs> what that means is that it's going to trickle down to the people that if, if, if Herod uh, is troubled, that means the people are in trouble because he's going to take out his anger and his fear and all of that on the people. So if Herod's having a bad day, that means everybody's going to have a bad day. And so Herod was troubled. And as a monarch or as a king who led a monarchy, meaning that there were no term limits on his rule. As a monarch, Herod did not want to concede his throne to another king. Uh, listen, y'all, I'm not making this stuff up. It's right here in the word. Rather than saying the true king is here, 
Bethlehem is just five miles away from Jerusalem. And him being really a puppet king of the Romans, him not being Jewish, you would think, especially since he claims to be a convert, you would think he would get excited about this king that has been born. But instead, no, he's disturbed and troubled over this king because he does not want to give up or concede his throne to the rightful heir to the throne. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I can't get nobody to go with me. You see, he would do whatever it took to maintain political power, even if that meant he had to kill this child. He would do whatever it took to maintain political power. Now, I just want to stop right here and say this. I'm not aiming. I'm just preaching. <laughs> I'm not aiming. I'm just preaching. And I come against the evangelical church that has wrongly said for too long that Donald Trump is God's anointed, that Donald Trump resembles King Cyrus who helped the Jews when they came back into captivity. No, I, I don't believe this man is God's anointed. I believe he's God's instrument. And I surely don't believe that he is uh, uh, like Cyrus. As I read the Bible, Donald Trump reminds me of Herod in the Old Testament, excuse me, Pharaoh in the Old Testament and Herod in the New Testament. I mentioned how Herod was a great builder. One plus of Donald Trump is that he is a great builder. Now, he couldn't build that wall, but he has built other things and put T's and Trumps on it. He, he's, he's a good builder. But other than that, there are so many things as I keep going on that you're going to see uh, that, that are parallels to Donald Trump. And what's my point? I'm trying to say there's nothing new under the sun. I'm also trying to say to you that we need to be careful of putting men on pedestals that are only reserved for the Messiah himself. And so that means you don't even put Biden or whomever you may have voted for on a platform that belongs only to God. But especially when you deal with what Proverbs 29 verse 2 says, you, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And Proverbs 29 2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. See, again, we're in a day-to-day, -day, we don't want to call people out. We don't want to call wickedness, wickedness. We want to try to call evil good and good evil, but no, 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 no. There are wicked rulers as much as there are righteous rulers. Herod was a tyrant, and he was threatened when he heard the news of another king having been born during his reign, which goes into point number three. Herod was politically savvy. Oh, yes, he was. Herod was politically savvy. Herod was a clever politician who promoted Hellenism. What is Hellenism? Hellenism is the love of Greek culture. So here's a man who is over a kosher people, a holy people, if you will, um, who is holding on to Greek philosophy, uh, Greek language, Greek gods, Greek entertainment, uh, uh, the Olympics, he, you know, all these things that he would get into. He promoted Greek culture, which allowed him to live lavishly and to live in a way that was uh, uh, hedonistic. And so the Jews would see, again, his multiplying of wives and, and all the things that he did that were contrary to Hebrew law and tradition. And so the Jews did not like this man. He was a quote-unquote convert to Judaism, 
but his conversion was apparently politically motivated. In other words, his conversion wasn't real. Pastor Chris, how do you know his conversion wasn't real? I don't know the man's heart, but all I got to do is look at the fruit. Because watch this. He rebuilt the temple for God, but he wanted to kill the son of God for whom the temple was built. So, so how are you going to build a temple for God, but you want to kill God's son? So there's a great disconnect uh, between your orthodoxy and your orthopraxy. What you say you believe doesn't show up with how you live. Because if you really love the God of the temple, you're going to love that God's son, his child, Jesus Christ. And so this man was not a true convert. He was a political proselyte to Judaism. He was a political Christian, if you will, who doesn't even know his way through the Bible and stuff, calling 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians. This is what kind of guy Herod was. He was a quote-unquote convert. No, he wasn't. Herod didn't want to learn the Bible to get to know God. He wanted to learn the Bible in order to stop the plans of God. He didn't want to get the Bible to know God. No, he wanted to learn the Bible to try to stop the plans of God. Why, where am I getting this from? Verse 4. Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now they're quoting Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So there it is right there. So he grabs these scholars to tell him what the Bible says, but he really doesn't want to be transformed by what the Bible says because rather than going with the wise men to Bethlehem to worship the child Jesus, he, sends a he wants to send a dispatch out to kill the child Jesus. And so th this is the kind of man that he was. And so this man, Herod, he didn't want to learn the Bible to get to know God. He wanted to learn the Bible in order to find out where the Christ would be born in order to try to stop him. This means that when it came to spirituality, Herod had ulterior motives. And he had some chief priests and some scribes in his pocket. He had some people who would tell him what he wanted to hear. And I find it interesting that the people who had all this knowledge about God and they knew when the Christ child or, or where the Christ child would be born, even with that information, they still didn't go five miles down the road to go meet him and worship him. But the foreigners who came from the east, a journey that may have taken months, they came all that way to worship King Jesus. And I also find it interesting that when the wise men came, they brought gifts to give to the true king, and they didn't have nothing to give to the false king, Herod. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? They didn't give anything to Herod. They gave everything to the rightful king, Jesus. And I just want to know, I just want to stop by here for a second and say, what are you, who are you giving your best gifts to today? Who are you giving your best time to, your best allegiance to, your greatest loyalty to today? I hope it's not somebody uh, uh, who was born of a woman and who is flawed with sin. Uh, any and every politician, they should get your respect, but they should not get your worship. They should not get your total loyalty. They should not get your allegiance. Only God deserves that. 
We use politics to get where we need to get, but we don't worship politicians in the process. And if it ever comes down to what the Bible says and what a politician says or does, there is not to be any kind of comparison here. We choose what God says over that politician regardless of the party that the politician represents. Ah, uh, don't preach them politics. I'm just in the book. Let me keep on going. <laughs> Fourth, Herod, that brother was deceptive. He was deceptive. Look at verse, uh, uh, let's see here, seven. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Did you see that? So the wise men, they didn't come straight to Herod. They're in the vicinity looking for this king of the Jews. They've been following the star, and apparently the star uh, uh, stopped shining at the moment. So they're, they're looking. They're in the vicinity. Herod hears about this envoy that's in town that, that's looking for this king of the Jews. And so he calls them to himself privately or secretly in order to have a conversation with them. He doesn't want everybody knowing that Herod is talking with them. So he calls them in privately or secretly. Why? Because he has ulterior motives. Herod, in this conversation with the wise men, he determined the age of the Christ child based on his talk with the wise men. That approximately two years ago, they saw this star uh, and they began to follow the star. So based on his conversation with them, and they were just being honest men, in a sense they were naive, they didn't know they were talking to a snake of a politician. They thought everybody had pure motives like they did to worship the king of the Jews, but Herod did not, and Herod deceptively got information out of people who were sincere in their allegiance to the king of the Jews. So this dude was deceptive. He was slick, but I got to go on now to verse 8, and the Bible says, And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Oh, man, you're not a true worshiper of God. You don't love God's son. You're not here to honor the true king of the Jews. All you care about is yourself. All you care about is maintaining your throne and your power. So again, you are deceptive. You are deceptive, man. And so when he realizes that uh, 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 the, the, the wise men, once having gone to Bethlehem, did not come back through Jerusalem to go back to the east, he was upset. Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Wise men have been warned in a dream. Don't go back to that guy. The Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts. Okay, I'm going to come back to that in a moment. So I'm talking about how deceptive Herod was. And the wise men get a, a, a dream from God saying, don't go back that way. Uh, go back home another way. 
Now watch this. Based on archaeology and studying the topography of the land during that time, there weren't many main roads that a caravan could travel on during those days. We're used to having multiple routes and roads to get to where we need to go. But in those days, there was usually only one highway. As a matter of fact, there's a highway in the Old Testament called the King's Highway. In other words, it's the main road that people travel up and down on. So when you think about these guys coming from the east, following a star into Bethlehem that was five miles away from Jerusalem. They had to come through Jerusalem to get to Bethlehem, meaning that when they left Bethlehem to go back home, they would have to come through Jerusalem on this main road to get back home. But uh, they have a dream, and they're told, don't you take that main route, take another route. So Herod is looking on the main road waiting for these guys to come back. And when they don't come back, that's when he realizes that he's been deceived by them. And one of the things that deceivers do not like is when they get deceived by other people. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, People who are are tricksters do not like when tricks get played on them. Uh, uh, People who cheat to win think everybody cheats when they win, when no, you're judging them based on what's in your heart. You cheated to win. They didn't cheat to win, no matter how many times you say they cheated in order to win the presidency. And even though uh, uh, it's being proven in court time after time after time again, you're holding on to a lie because you're so deceptive that you have deceived yourself and you believe lies and think lies are true. But no matter what you believe, your truth ain't the truth. Oh, come on, help me somebody. And so we just got to look at the word and we have to be honest with what we say. Because as I've been praying about this message, I've been praying that God would set free Those Christians who have been uh, under the delusion of Donald Trump and under the delusion of the uh, salvific power of the Republican Party, I'm praying that you would get free today in the name of Jesus and stop trying to equate other names and other parties to the name of God and the kingdom of God. You need to be set free. Don't get mad at me. Don't change the station. If you're mad right now, it might mean that the Holy Spirit is bringing some conviction on your life. Don't move your membership, stay here. Don't just love me when I say things that affirm how you feel. I hope you love me when I challenge you because the church in Galatia said, Paul said, man, y'all have considered me an enemy because I preach the truth. And I hope that you don't think that I'm an enemy because I'm preaching the truth to you. Oh my, just because we're, we're looking at Donald Trump today and others like him, that doesn't mean we haven't dealt with other uh, uh, maniacal leaders in the past. This is just our era now to deal with one. And when we read the Bible, this man, Herod, y'all, he was towed up from the floor. So number five, here it is. This man, Herod, he was a murderer. He was a murderer. Herod not only uh, murdered or had his first, excuse me, not his first wife, but he had his wife from the Hasmonean line, Mariamne, murdered. He had her murdered. Not only did he have her murdered, antiquity tells us that he personally strangled another wife of his, who antiquity says was his favorite wife. So he had Mariamne killed because she was getting more popular. Then he strangled another wife who happened to be his favorite. What kind of man was this? And the two sons that Herod had with Mariamne, Alexander and Aristobulus, 
were both executed under fear of treason. So he believed, again, being paranoid, he thinks everybody is against him, even his own children. He had two of his wife's brothers slain because he suspected them of treason. Herod even killed a young high priest who was very popular amongst the Jewish people because he was jealous of him because the man suspiciously died in a pool of about three feet of water. They found him dead. So his, his death was under suspicion. A young man that the people loved but Herod hated, this man suspiciously died in a pool that was only a few feet deep. Herod had his eldest son, Antipater III, who was by his first wife, Doris, executed just five days before he died. So he's lying on his deathbed, and he's like, go kill my son, Antipater III. So after several incidents of this sort, Josephus, uh, the historian of the Jews, says that Caesar Augustus said, better to be one of Herod's sows than one of his sons. What am I saying? Uh, Josephus said, it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. And so if you go back on it now, what is a quote-unquote Jewish king doing with pigs? But again, because he wasn't truly Jewish and because he had given into Hellenism, he did have pigs. And so uh, uh, the, the, the emperor said, after having heard of all of the dastardly things that this man had done, all of the blood that was on his hand, uh, this Caesar said, it's better to be one of his sows than to be one of his sons. That was the reputation that Herod the Great had. And this is why it's no surprise when we go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Arise, take the young child and his mother to flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So there you see he has murderous intent against the child Jesus. He wants to kill our Lord before his time when he lays his life down for us all. So, so it's no surprise he wants to kill a child. What kind of grown man is threatened by the life of a child? <laughs> Only an insecure grown man, I tell you. And he's not even a grown man. He's a boy. That's what he is. And then another thing about Herod is that Herod murdered scores of innocent children in Bethlehem and the surrounding regions. And I read that for you uh, in verse 16. Let me go back to that. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. Uh, watch out for angry kings, angry leaders. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts. So although Bethlehem was a small uh, town, and some uh, Bible scholars say that probably no more than two dozen male children were put to death, but that's still two dozen too many. But there were still other districts in the area because he wanted to make sure he stomped out this other king as much as he could humanly possible. And so he killed these boys from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. 
Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And so we, we, we see this, uh, what this man did to the community, how the, he brought devastation and bloodshed to the community because he's trying his best to hold on to his throne because he is threatened by another king having been born. So this man was a murderer. He was a cold-blooded murderer. Finally, Herod died. Thank you, Lord. Herod died. Look at verse 19. Now, when Herod was dead, I'll just stop right there. When Herod was dead, Herod died. And Herod's death is recorded in detail by Flavius Josephus, who was the primary Jewish historian of his time that many of us quote today. Um, Herod died in his palace in Jericho in what has been dated as 4 BC, and he died of a lingering and painful illness. And before he died, Herod gave an order to have many influential Jews executed on the day of his death. So while he's on his deathbed, he's telling his people, I want you to bring these influential Jews to Jericho. I know I'm about to die, but on the day that I die, I want you to kill all of these influential Jews. Why? Because if they don't die, that means when I die, the people are going to rejoice that I'm dead. But in order for them to mourn when I die, why don't we kill some of these nobles of the Jewish people so that on the day I die, there will be mourning in the land and not rejoicing in the land? Can you say selfish even to the point of death? This brother was selfish. This brother, he thought it was all about him all the time. And he knew that the people didn't like him. So therefore, he said, kill some good people so that they can mourn on the day that I die. Now, thankfully, his sister Salome, who, who had power, governmental power, she did not allow that command to go forth. But can you imagine the arrogance and, and again, the selfishness of such an act? Kill other people so that the, the people won't rejoice on the day that I die. My, my, my. Now I understand why the munchkins were singing when the house of Dorothy fell on the wicked witch of the east. Man, this is before her feet curled up and went up under the house. They were singing, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. <laughs> you, you must live a trifling life when people are, they're rejoicing when you die. I mean, you, you, what kind of life are you living that people are glad that you have gone on? Because we couldn't do nothing with you, but death has never lost a case except with Jesus, and death got a hold of you. And they were happy that this man was gone. Herod died. Now, Josephus goes on to write, Herod was a man who was cruel to all alike. Herod was cruel to everybody, including members of his family, obviously because he had so many of them killed. No wonder songwriters Bill and Gloria Gaither were correct when they wrote, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there is something about that name. 
And so when we're dealing with a messy king, we keep that messy king in his place, which is second place, third place, last place. But there's something about that name of the king of the Jews, the king of all kings, that should be first place and the sweetest name in our ears. So I conclude by saying that, yes, Herod was a messed up king who, thank God, was outmatched by the Messiah King, Jesus. And that's where our hope should always lie. Yes, we navigate through the political system, but we always remember that our citizenship is from above. We're we're people of another kingdom, a greater kingdom. Yes, we are here on earth and we want to participate in this earth's process, especially as Americans living in this country, to operate according to the constitution and the laws of the land, but we realize that there is something greater, someone greater, somewhere greater. So therefore, we're not gonna lose our testimony getting dragged down uh, by the muck and the mire of politicians and their politics. We always look above and beyond who's sitting in the White House to see who's seated on the throne because that always gives us the capacity to deal well with those, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, who sit in seats of power in this nation. So Herod was a messy king, but Jesus is the Messiah King, who loves messy folks and helps us through all of our messes. You know, in Acts chapter 17, when uh, Paul and his band of, of gospel globetrotters, they, they had gone into a town, and the Bible says, the ones who have turned the world upside down have come here. So, so they have come to our town, and, and the gospel, the church, is turning this place upside down with the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that there was a man by the name of Jason who was grabbed by the mob and and he was persecuted and he was a convert to Jesus. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, verse 7, that there was this contention with Caesar because they kept talking about, the Christians kept talking about, there was another king, Jesus. (laughs) They kept saying, there's another king. And his name is Jesus. And so it came into conflict with Caesar because Caesar thought he was king. As a matter of fact, Caesar, they would all think that they were gods. But Paul and his homies, the church would come and say, they have their place. But we're here to tell you about the king, another king named Jesus Christ. Oh, through the end of this year, as we're in Advent, I pray that you would be reminded constantly of another king and his name is Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for history because all truth is your truth. Truth in history books is your truth. But we thank you for the truth that is in the word of God that sets us free. Lord, I pray that we would always be people who understand who we are and whose we are, how to be in this world but not of it how not to sell our birthright in the kingdom for a mess of political porridge. Oh God, I pray that we would repent of any places where we have uh, prioritized and even idolized politics, where we have separated from brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, uh, uh, willing to lay our lives down for people who could care little about us and who we really are. And the one who really did lay his life down for us we usually want to try to take our life back from him and and not give him our all. 
But God, we repent today and we pray, Lord, that we could always be encouraged over the fact that you as a child had more authority than a man named Herod could ever have. And I thank you that the Persians, these men from the east, they recognized your kingship and they brought you gifts worthy of a king. Lord, might we bring you the gifts that are worthy of who you are and all that you have done. Might we give you first place in our lives. Might we give you our best allegiance, our best support, our best gifts because you're worthy of it all. And even if we don't do it, you're still worthy. I just pray we'll get in on the fun, that we'll get in on the advantages of what it means to bless God because you might visit us with some dreams that may lead us in places, Lord, that we may have naively gone into. But because we came out of a worship situation of honoring the king, God, you spoke. And those wise men, they got a word from you and they lived differently and accordingly. Lord, somebody needs a word today. And I pray that that word would just spew out of their worship of you. And that, Lord, you would lead them in this world and in this place. Those who are concerned about jobs, those who are concerned about health, those who are concerned about finances and housing. God, I pray that we would worship you. And in the midst of worshiping you and honoring you, you would speak to us and lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, if there's someone lost today, I pray that they would be found. If that's you, you must repent and come to Jesus right where you are and say, Jesus, be my Savior. Jesus, be my Lord. I give you my life, and I thank you for giving me yours. If you don't have a church home, you need to find one. And if it's not Strong Tower, I pray that you would find a good Bible preaching, teaching, reaching church wherever you are. We all need community, even if it's cyber right now. And if you are a believer and you have put politics and politicians before the Lord and his kingdom, so much so that you don't even like it when somebody dares to question your leader or your party, you need to repent. And I pray that today you will come to your senses today and recognize that it's not worth dividing the body of Christ over politics and politicians, that you would put Jesus or acknowledge that he's in his rightful place as Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that you would come to your senses and come back to Christ. Yes, you can remain a Republican. Yes, you can believe in the things of the platform, but don't you dare put them before the Lord himself. Lord, do that work in your people in this messy world, this messy time. But I'm so glad we got a Messiah who came to make us right. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Well, that was my benediction. You are free to go. You are free to turn off social media and spend some time with your family. Man, discuss this passage. Go back over it. Read it. Talk about it. Pray about it. And we'll see you, Lord willing, Wednesday night and again next Sunday. Now, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about a messed up conversation that Mary and Joseph are going to have. And it's going to lead to the words divorce. And so during this time in this messed up season, there are a couple struggling. And so you need to meet me here next week. There's a word for you. There's a word for you. God understands what you're going through. He's real in the midst of your real struggles. So come on back here, Lord willing, next week. And we'll hear from God. God bless. God speed. And we'll see you soon. Hey! Thank 
you for joining us today at Strong Tower Bible Church, where Dr. Chris Williamson is senior pastor. We hope you enjoyed worshiping with us and will join us next Sunday morning right here for our 1030 a.m. service. Be sure to stay informed on upcoming Strong Tower Bible Church events and activities. Download the Strong Tower Bible Church app in the App Store or visit our website at www.strongtowerbiblechurch.com. We pray you have a blessed, wonderful, and safe remainder of the day, and we'll see you next week, same time, right here at the Tower. 